All right, if you've got your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to take a small uh, break from the book of Acts. Ephesians, we're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to walk through Ephesians. We're not going to read the whole thing. Through Ephesians chapter 1 and somewhat the middle of chapter 2. I want you to see something very, very, very encouraging from the Apostle Paul. And before we jump in and read, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, as always. Lord, we thank you that we have something to sing about. Lord, we have something to put our hope and all of our faith in. And God, we thank you that what we have isn't something that can be bought with silver or gold, but you bought it with the blood of your son. And so, God, we thank you that our hope is in you. Lord, we thank you that we can sing, we can laugh, we can celebrate all in your name. God, we pray that uh, through your word this morning that you would indeed feed your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians. We're going to walk through a little bit of it. And he does it in a, uh, in a unique way. Uh, I was in the army in 2001 to 2005. And close to the end of 2000, actually in the beginning of 2005, for about a week-long period, my unit was in the airport waiting for a ride home okay so we were done with our tour we had turned in all of our goods and it was time for us to come home and we had to wait at the airport for a week like if you ever thought a a couple hour layover was bad try being away from your family for a year waiting at the airport watching planes take off knowing that you should be on one of them and so two or three days into this wait at the airport uh i'm talking with one of my friends and uh, we were talking about betrayal in Sunday school. This is an even better one. Uh, we're teaching the kids about betrayal. Anyways, uh, I'm talking with one of my friends, and I just make the comment. You know, if I was in charge, we'd be home by now. Any of you ever thought something like that? Things aren't going the way you think they would, and you thought, man, if I was calling the shots, we'd be there by now. I just said it to a friend in passing. Uh, truth be told, he probably agreed. About two hours later, having a conversation with some friends, and my lieutenant taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, uh, Sergeant Struther, come with me for a minute. Yeah, no problem, sir. What's up? He said, Did you just say, if you were in charge, we'd be home by now? Yep, yes, sir, I did. He said do you really believe that? And I said, yes, sir, I do. And he began to say nice things about me. Like, not joking. He began to compliment me and say some really nice things. And then he began to say some not so nice things, pointing out some character flaws that I had. And then at the end of him sharing all of my character flaws with me, he began to say some more nice things about with me and paint a beautiful picture of the future for us together as friends. And I learned that day, first of all, don't ever tell anybody something that you don't want repeated. And then I learned the art of how to give the best butt chewing anybody could ever give in their entire life, right? Build someone up, share with them the few things that they need to work on, and then build them up again. Paul does something really interesting in this letter. He doesn't, he's not chewing anyone out, but he wants to encourage these people at the church of Ephesus to live godly. And so what he does is he starts out his letter by telling them 
all of these fantastic things that they have, right? The first half of the book of Ephesians is all about these great things that God has done for you. And so in Ephesians chapter 1 through almost into chapter 2, he's telling you of all of these great things that you have because of what Christ has done for you. And then right in the middle of chapter 2, he's going to share with you what he expects you to do because you have all of these things that Jesus has already given you. And so he's, he's building you up, telling you everything you have in Christ. And then he's going to pull you along, asking you to live up to what Jesus has done for you. And so I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 1, it starts like this. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So you read this letter that Paul's writing. And you realize that God has blessed us. Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That God has blessed us. Past tense. He's already blessed us as a result of what Jesus has done With what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm just going to have a moment of transparency. I have no idea what all of those are. Like I could list a few blessings that you have, but he doesn't say that you have a few blessings because of what Jesus did. He said that you have every spiritual blessing because of what Jesus did. I want you to see as he keeps going. He says in verse 4, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. And so, you don't just have every spiritual blessing, but Paul tells you that you were chosen of God, right? If you've ever wondered about your self-worth, if you've ever wondered about your salvation, you've ever wondered about your standing before God, this is what you need to know. Just like when you were at school and they were kicking, they were picking a kickball team or a dodgeball team or a baseball team, just know that Jesus was the captain and he picked you. Right? And he picked you for a purpose. Right? You know if you're playing dodgeball, that you're getting picked to be on this team. The goal is not to get hit with the ball and to hit other people with the ball. I love dodgeball. The goal for you when Jesus picked you was that you would be holy and blameless before him. And he picked you because he knew that you could do it. So, he picked you to be, he he chose you. He gave you every spiritual blessing. This is on in the middle of verse 4 now. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And so he didn't just give you every spiritual blessing. He didn't just choose you, but he adopted you. So if you've ever been to an orphanage, you've ever seen this site on TV, you have all the kids running around in the room. And you have the eligible parents that come in. They're going to adopt a child. And so what they do is they choose a child, right, of all the kids that are running around. Can you imagine that feeling that you would get if you were that child? Somebody just chose me. God doesn't just choose you, but he adopts you. Brings you in to be part of the family. Right? You, you have this in Jesus. You have someone who's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Someone who's chosen you. Someone who's finished the act and he's adopted you. He's brought you into the family. And so you're not just an outcast, but you're actually part of the family in Jesus. 
In him, this is verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And so you don't just have every spiritual blessing. He didn't just choose you. He didn't just adopt you. But you have redemption through his blood. The word redemption means your ransom has been paid. You getting me here? He chose you. He adopted you. And then he paid the adoption fee, which was the ransom for your sin. And that ransom fee was in order to adopt you, in order to bring a new person into the family, to choose them, to adopt them. He had to give his only son's blood as an adoption fee. And you have this in Jesus Christ, right? These are the things that God has done for you. And all of these things are incredibly exciting. Now you keep going and you find out that he didn't just choose you, adopt you, pay your ransom fee. It would be easy to do all of that. And then you still be an outcast in the family, right? Right. It would be easy for that sort of thing to happen. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy, but it would be easy to bring someone new into the family, that in-law, and they just not fit in, right? Some of you are that in-law. You're not shaking your head, but you go to Thanksgiving and you just don't fit in. So you want to go to your family for Thanksgiving. Your silence is telling. Then he says this, and this is exciting. You've not just been chosen. You've not just been adopted. You've not just been redeemed. But then it says, in all wisdom, this is the end of verse 8, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. So you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been, you've had your ransom paid, you're not an outcast in the family, but you've been brought near, and the Father has shared with you the kind intention of his will. And so you're not just an outcast in the family, but now you know what the family is about. You know what the father, the patriarch is about, and he's making you a part of his plan. He's letting you know what's going on. I've spoken to a ton of graduating high school kids and early, late college students, right? All of them want to know this question. What is God's will for my life? The cool thing in this verse is, is that if you'll seek the Lord, he'll share with you and make known to you the mystery of his will. He'll let you know. It's as simple as this. Ask the Father. Knock and the door will be open. That sort of thing. The Father doesn't want you to be an outcast. The Father wants to bring you close and make sure you know what his will is. Then you go on to verse 11. So you've been, you've had every spiritual blessing. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been redeemed. Your ransom's been paid. He's made known to you the mystery of his will. And then in verse 11, it says this. Also, we have obtained an inheritance. So verse 11 says, you're not that in-law that doesn't fit in. You're not the adopted child that'll never be one of the, the real kids. You have such intimate fellowship with the Father that He's brought you in. He's let you know things that only the family knows. And then also, when He leaves, when you leave, you get an inheritance. You get an inheritance. Like you, you, you get something. Dad is going to leave behind something special just for you. Now, you've already received every spiritual blessing that there is to have. But there's more. And he's going to give it to you. 
You get over to the book of Revelation and you kind of find out what this is. I'm not going to tell you all of it, but some of the things that you're going to get in the book of Revelation, you're going to get a new name, which no one knows but you and the Father. That's intimate type stuff. Like most of you have names for your children that you don't call them out loud there. They're intimate names that you share with them. If you were at the baseball field and you hollered out that name, it would be embarrassing for them because it's a special name between you and them. You get that. When you get to heaven, you stay faithful, you overcome, you get to heaven, and Jesus will give you a name which no one knows, you and the Father. Then he says this, verse 13, In him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So you've been given every spiritual blessing. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been bought. Your ransom has been paid. He keeps going. You've been known the mystery of God's will. You've obtained an inheritance. And then if you're ever laying in bed at night, wondering if you're really going to receive that great inheritance that God has for you, God has given you the Holy Spirit of God sealed inside of you as a pledge that you really are going to get that inheritance one day. You have that Holy Spirit of God living inside of you as a spiritual blessing from God the Father. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is... Amazing. You have the only religion in the world that has God living inside of them. The only one. No one else has that. Everyone else has to wonder if they'll do enough good things to please God when they die. They're always worried about that scale of balancing out good and bad. When you stand before God the Father, you can have assurance that you're going to obtain an inheritance because you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And he's encouraging you. And he's He's convicting you of sin and you're walking with him and you know that you're pleasing God the Father because the Holy Spirit inside of you is satisfied. These are all fantastic things. Then you go over to chapter 2 of Ephesians. You read through chapter 2 of Ephesians and he's told you all of these great things that you have in Christ. And then he's going to tell you some, some of the negative things and what Jesus did to overcome them. And I'm just going to read briefly chapter 2, not the whole thing. And you, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working, and the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest." So verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2 tell you that before you received all of these spiritual blessings from Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were 100% hopeless in your spiritual condition. Dead people have no hope of getting up by themselves. That was your and my spiritual condition before Christ. Then he says this, we were all that way. We were children of wrath, even as the rest. So we weren't just spiritually dead, indulging our own flesh. Here's the thing. We liked it that way. So you weren't just dead in your sin, but you were happy and dead in your trespasses and sin. Right? You liked the way that your life was going, living in rebellion to God. Then he says in verse 4, he's gonna, he says, but God, 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he had for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so he's told you all of those spiritual blessings that you have. Then he's told you that before you received all of those things, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, hopeless and happy. But God being rich in mercy, reaches down and he takes you from your spiritual disaster that you've created for yourself and myself and he picks you up and because of and out of his grace sits you in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And so you've just gone. That's the ultimate rags to riches story. Hopeless to sitting next to God the Father in heaven. Listen to this. So if you've been paying attention through the book of Ephesians, he hasn't given you a lot of, a lot of so what's. He's given you a lot of facts. Okay? Now he's going to give you some reasons why all of this happened. I'm going to start back in verse 6. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen to the why. Verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he, God, might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so you have all of these spiritual blessings. You were a wreck. Now God seated you, forgiven you, adopted you, chose you, paid the ransom for your sin, all of those things. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? It's easy to do something nice for someone who's trying, but you have to understand that none of us were trying when God reached down and saved us. You might think something like, well, there was a time when I was in college or when I had gotten out of college that I wasn't satisfied with my life. I was, um, I wanted something different. Well, the only reason you wanted something different was because the Holy Spirit was pulling you in, working in your heart and in your life. You were happy where you were until God started working in your life. Whether you recognize that's what it was or not, that's what the scripture says. And listen to why he does all of that, verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so he set you apart and saved you and gave you all of those spiritual blessings so that the rest of the world, for all ages to come, would see how great of grace God had towards you in your life. Is that not fantastic? Like, you are an exhibit for God to put on display for the great and mighty work that he's done in your life, forgiving you of all of your sin, adopting you into his family, choosing you, paying the ransom for your sin. You are on display for the world to see the grace of God working in your life. For by grace you've been saved, this is verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And so he says, listen, God is putting you on display to be a work of grace to the world. But don't get prideful and arrogant about it because you didn't do it. It was a gift. And so it's your job, follower of Jesus, to put on display the grace of God in your life as a free gift from God to you. Then it also becomes your job to offer that free gift to anyone who will listen And when they say, why would I want to do that? You should be able to look into your life and show them that I used to be this mess right here. But now the grace of God is in my life. And look at all of these spiritual blessings I have as a result of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the encouragement here is going to come. He's going to to push a little harder. 
Verse 9, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Listen to this, verse 10. This is the last verse that we'll cover. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So here you go, church. This is for us. We, middle, beginning of verse 10, we're his workmanship. You ever made something? You ever put something together? You ever tinker out in the shed? I love to make things. Right now I'm making a, a bagger attachment for my riding lawnmower, right? And it's going to be awesome. Right? Bagger attachments for riding lawnmowers are really expensive, but I'm going to make one out of pieces that I found, right? I'm going to put it together. I'm going to weld it in a few different places, and it won't have, it will not have caught, it won't, right? That's how redneck this project is going to be. That, that my, my language changes when I begin to describe it. This thing is going to be so fabulous because I made it and I know exactly how it works. So if someone stole it, they would be lost as to how this thing is supposed to work, right? It's going to be custom fit for my lawnmower. It's not going to look all that great to you. But I'm only going to use it two or three times at most a year. I don't want to spend any money on it. I'm going to be really pleased with the final project. You. My wife is like, oh God, this thing's going to sit around our yard for a year. And he's only going to use it for two or three times. Right? That's what she's thinking right now. It is. It's going to be my project. You are God's workmanship. God has a task a set of tasks in mind. When he laid out the earth, when he mapped everything out, planned everything out perfectly, he crafted you in such a way to be his workmanship. Much like someone would put a piece of wood onto a lathe, move that knife back and forth until they craft the exact piece of work that they want. You and I are craftsmanship created by God. Created, listen to this, this is the middle of verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so, however God pieced you together, he created you for good works. So this bagger attachment is going to keep me from having to rake my yard at all. Right? It's fabulous, I can't wait. You're created perfectly by God for a particular good work. Now check this out. You're not created for any good work that you choose, right? So that bagger attachment that I'm going to make, it doesn't get to do other things. It gets to do what I created it for. If that bagger attachment begins to try to do other things that it wasn't designed and created for, it's going to be a big mess, right? Like if one of my kids said, hey, I could use this in the living room and I wouldn't have to vacuum, right? You following me? That'd be a disaster, right? Because this isn't the thing... That's not the job that I created this piece of work for. So here you go, middle of verse 10, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen to this. This is the tough part. Which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You get this? You've been given every spiritual blessing. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been brought in close and you've been made known the very will of God. You've been given an inheritance. You've been given a seal of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you as a pledge for that inheritance. You've been masterfully created by God for good works 
Not any good work that you want or I want, but you've been created for good works that he created for you so that you would walk in them. You getting this? And so this is that we are to be overly joyed at all of the things that God has given us in Jesus. And out of being overjoyed, out of all the things that Jesus has given us, we're to look at ourselves, we can see the gifts and abilities that God's given us, and then this is where, this is where you make your money, church. You take all of that, and you pray, and you ask the Lord to reveal to you what good works He's set up for you to do. That's how it works. And you pray to the Lord, who has already made known to you His will, what good works he would have you to do. And we're not talking about earning salvation. We're not talking about good works to earn merit with God. We're talking about a God who sent his son to save you from all of your sin. And he created you in such a way so that you could, out of gratefulness to him for all he did to you, you could walk in the good works that he gave you. And so we pray, church, and we ask the Lord what he would have us to do and where he would have us to walk. And when that lawnmower bagger that I've made tries to do other things, I'm not happy with my kids when they do that. I'm happy when it gets used the proper way. And brothers and sisters, each of us has been given by God a certain set of good works that we should be about. And you will find the most satisfaction in your life when you pray to the Father... For him to reveal to you what good works he would have you to do today. I'll tell you just recently, the most satisfied I had been in all of life, right? Not Well, not all of life, but the most satisfied I had been in a long time. And it has everything to do with prayer and seeking the Lord. So about a month and a half ago, my dad and I are talking. And I used to go to the golf course as a kid all the time. I used to play golf in middle school. My parents would drop me off. We'd play 18 holes of golf over the course of five and a half hours, and they'd pick me up afterwards. You want to keep your kids out of trouble? Drop them off at the golf course in the morning, and don't pick them up until night, right? It's a foolproof way to keep them out of trouble. For them, You can only get them to so much trouble with a set of golf clubs and a golf cart, right? And all boys, right? We'll put that caveat in there. So my dad's asking me about this friend that I made when I was in middle school. In sixth grade, I met this guy. We were friends all through middle school and high school. We went to opposite high schools. We played golf with each other, against each other, and had a ball doing it. Well, after high school, we just fell apart. I joined the army. He went off to college. And my dad says, hey, have you heard from him lately? And I said, you know, thinking, thinking, thinking. Man, it's been 20 years since I heard from him. I'm starting to feel old now because now it's been 20 years since I've seen people and talked to people. That was the end of the conversation. Didn't think anything of it. The next morning, I'm praying with the boys before they go off to school. We read the Bible. We have a prayer together at breakfast before we rush them all out to the car. God, I pray for our family today that you would show us who you would have us to share the gospel with today. Who you would have us cross paths with. We pray that you would show us where you would have us walk today. It's a quick prayer. Nothing, nothing super deep. Just, boom, 30 seconds out the door. Get the kids off to school. I come into the office. I fire up my computer. I had been given two free tickets to the Creation Museum and Noah's Ark, and I was going to give them away on our church Facebook page. I still have them if you want them. Nobody, nobody anted up to get them. I pull up the church Facebook page, and there's a friend request. It's from the guy my dad asked me about. And I said, wow, God, Facebook's been around 20 years. We've never been friends on Facebook. 
haven't talked to this guy in 20 years, and I said, God, I know that you want me to pursue this relationship, and you want me to share the gospel with my friend who has not, to this day, accepted Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Man, you know how satisfying that was? Now, I haven't led this guy to the Lord yet. I haven't talked to this guy about Jesus yet. What I did so far is we talked on the telephone, and we're going to set up a time where we can get together and play golf. And while we're riding in the cart together, you better believe this fellow's going to hear about Jesus. And do you know why that's so satisfying? It's because I didn't come up with it on my own. It's through prayer, God gift drops exactly what he wants us to do. And he'll do that same thing for every single person that is faithful to him. That is exciting. And so this is what, this is what church looks like. There's roughly a hundred people in here this morning. Each believer is walking with Jesus. Each believer is asking Jesus, what is it today that you want me to be faithful to? Each believer is being faithful to what God is calling them to. And then we get together at a meeting like this and we're able to share stories of what God is doing in each of our lives as we walk in obedience to him. Knowing that we have all of those spiritual blessings from Jesus simply so that we can walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. Amen? Let's pray towards that end. So if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, we would love to share with you how you can be forgiven of all of your sin how you can have eternal life with God in heaven. I want to share with you how God wants to choose you, adopt you, bring you in close, give you a new name, give you eternal life in heaven. It's all possible because God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and then Jesus raised from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that because of his obedience, you were able to pour out on us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God, I pray that we would walk in the good works that you've prepared for us. And God, I pray, especially now, that if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, to be forgiven of all of their sin, I pray that today would be the day they do it. Lord, I pray that they would get immense satisfaction, joy, and peace out of following you and walking in accordance with the way that you created them and crafted them. God, if there's anyone here who knows they're not walking in a way in which you created them, Lord, I pray that you would joyfully give them a heart of repentance. And Lord, that you would set them going on the path that you would have them to walk. And God, I pray that we would rejoice in that just as much. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with us for our hymn of invitation. It's going to be number 349. It was good to see you guys today. I hope that you have a great week. Don't forget about the things that are printed in the bulletin. And don't forget to show up at 6 o'clock, not 530, at Velvet's house on Halloween night. Got it? All right. Dr. Tarkington, would you close us with a word of prayer?